Have you set a course for your life? Do you do that every day? Knowing what you want is intention. Knowing how to get there is a study in conscious action. This is a show about living consciously. It is about our choices, our hopes, our dreams, our work, our loves, our vision, and the practice of healing and becoming. Welcome to Cruising in the Light and Shadow. Hello, I am Sheila Marie, also known as Kicha. And this is Anana Moon. Hello. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. And first off, I just want to say that um, I've had this sick, cold thing that's going around. So excuse me if I cough or if you can hear my cough drop. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so we wanted to talk about. Today we're talking about in bulk. And it's a, I'm, I'm, I think we'll let our guests talk about it because I'm so excited by the information that she has. But um, this, is the, this is one of the Sabbaths in pagan spirituality, and you can correct me wherever you want, but it's the return of the light. And I'm very excited about um, talking about this topic and the, the beautiful goddess Brigid. Um, anyway, I will stop and uh, and please I, I am very introduce honored. Introduce our guest. Yeah, I have the honor of knowing our guest. She is a friend. She is a teacher, and she is one of my sisters in the community that I am in. And she also has a PhD. So, ladies and gentlemen, Carrie Noonan. Hi. Thank you. Hi, thank hi. you for having me on. Thank you. So you have a PhD in folklore and mythology. Awesome. Yes. So what does that mean for our <laughs> public? Yes. Since that's a broad <laughs> topic. What that's, that's often something I ask myself. No, uh-huh. um, uh, I got a PhD and uh, my master's degree, my PhD from the folklore and mythology program at UCLA. Um, and in that we studied um, folklore more broadly speaking, in all the genres of folklore, including folk belief and food customs and holiday traditions and um, uh, what people call superstitions and ethnic cultures and customs. So all of these things are part of the discipline of folklore. And I, for my own focus, I started to focus on a vernacular religion, which is basically, in the words of my mentor, Leonard Primiano, religion as it is lived, as human beings understand, interpret, and and practice it. So um, I'm looking at sort of the unofficial and official things that people do. And I'm particularly interested in women and how women make space for themselves in various religions. When you say official and unofficial, what do you mean? I'm referring to, uh, I'm going to be scholarly for just another second. No, Uh, I enjoy it. Go ahead. (laughs) There is a folklorist named Don Yoder who defined folk religion. And he said that folk religion is all those beliefs and practices that exist among the people outside of and alongside of the official religion. The official. So if you think about it, that means not just the official rule book of your religion, like you must go to church on Sundays, you must believe these certain things, but also the informal holiday traditions, the informal things you do on your own uh, that are your personal expression. And sometimes they are based in ethnic cultures, and sometimes they are based in family cultures, and sometimes they're your own individual things. Oh, so perfect. this is okay. sociology, right? 
<laughs> Although, of course, like to say we are older as a discipline than both sociology and anthropology. So I have to wave the, wave the folklore flag for just a little bit. For there. a little bit. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, we very much um, wanted to talk with you today um, on the topic of Imbolc and um, the goddess Brigid, Saint Brigid, um, but there is so there are so many ways to go. <clears throat> Pardon me. There's so many ways to go. Um, you want me to talk a little bit? I can talk a little bit about the holiday just for a moment, please. And if you want to talk about what a Sabbath is, I realized we hadn't we hadn't really gone into what that means. Yeah, in, um, in modern neo-paganism, uh, a Sabbath is um, a, one of the holy days, and it literally comes from the Jewish word Sabbath, because in the Middle Ages, when they were accusing people of being witches, um, the only sort of non-Christian group that they could compare them to were Jewish people, and so they Sabbath for their holidays, just like Jews used the word Sabbath. All right. So that's, that's the interesting etymology of that. But it means one of the eight holy days of the neo-pagan year. And this one is, has an Irish name for most neo-pagans. It's Imolg. The B is silent, and the final C sounds kind of like a G. So it's Imolg, as if it was spelled I-M-O-L-G. And it, it is... Uh, either February 1st or 2nd, depending on who you listen to. It's the folk tradition, so it has many interpretations. But um, if you think of the pre-Christian agricultural year in most of Europe, not the extreme north or the extreme south, but in like northwestern Europe, um, this is the time of year when winter is kind of turning into spring. I live in Vermont, and so it doesn't feel like that at all to me right now. But... Um, <laughs> uh, this is the time when some of the um, animals, like the sheep, are beginning to bear their young. This is the time when you're starting to prep to get ready to go into the fields. Um, so you had the beginning of winter at uh, Samhain or um, All Souls Day or Halloween. That's when all your crops should have been in. And then you go into this interior part of the year where you don't go out much, your animals don't go out much, you can't do much with the ground, and it's all about internal stuff. And then you come to um, Imolg, and that's when you're starting to end the winter. So uh, Yuletide, or the winter solstice, is midwinter. Winter begins November 1st. It's midwinter, December 21st. And winter ends on February 2nd, although it's hard for me to remember that living in Vermont. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and then there, you have... There are even, there, I'm from the Midwest. There are winter crops. Would they still be... Uh, would they be planting winter crops or finishing with that and they're they're waiting for the another harvest? Yeah, they might be doing that as well. So and this is also when the light is beginning to grow longer. The days are beginning to grow longer. Yes. There's an Irish saying that on St. Bridget's Day, uh, you only need um, half a candle where you used to need a whole candle, <laughs> you know, to get through your work in the day. Um and that's also why we do weather auguries on this day. That's why in the U.S. we have Punxsutawney Phil. I was just going that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's actually, it's sort of functionally related to a Scottish custom where they used to say that on Bridget's Eve, you look to see if the snake comes out of its hole. And we look to see if Punxsutawney Phil comes out and sees a shadow. And that predicts the weather. If it's, Is winter weather going to continue or are we going to continue to have more spring-like weather? So it's because it's sort of this this turning point uh, in the old way of looking at the year. Um, it's sacred in Ireland to Bridget. Bridget, who was originally a goddess and then uh, was also a Christian saint. 
and there are connections between those uh, those two beings. Some people, some scholars will say that, oh, uh, Saint Bridget, we don't have a whole lot of uh, historical evidence for her. Perhaps she was just the goddess repackaged, which often happens. Yes. Other people say perhaps she was an actual living person who had been a priestess of the goddess Bridget and then became Christian and turned her community into a Christian community. And other people say perhaps she was someone who was named after the old goddess but then did her own Christian thing. <clears throat> a lot of stories about the earlier goddess got accreted to her because it just seems right to people to do so. Okay. Um, so... Isn't that true of many of the of the saints yes, that okay. they <clears throat> probably were the gods and goddesses? Um, my under this is what I had been taught a long time ago, and again, I would love to hear your perspective on this. That um, many of the saints had been gods and goddesses or revered people. Um, and maybe some of their particular folklore became very famous um, in an area, but the church needed or wanted to reclaim or claim those stories and those um, people, and they gave them saints' names. Well, I would say that um, it can work two ways. Uh, for oh. This is especially true of the early saints, um, the ones that we don't have historical records about. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes what, uh, when Christianity was coming in, the people who were converting uh, the local folks would say, oh, you already honor this particular individual. Well, actually that individual was a saint and devoted to Christ. And so you can still honor that person, but now they're a saint. Other times it may have been that there was a holy person who was a Christian holy person, but because something about their attributes or what they did resembled an earlier sacred figure, people started to tell stories about them that included these stories of the earlier sacred figure. So sometimes it was from the top down, perhaps from uh, the church reappropriating things, and other times it was from the bottom up where people said, oh yeah, well I know another story about someone like that, and it got attached to that person. No wonder there's so many stories that might lead to a saint, a, a, a deity. Um, I'm a myth. thinking, yeah, I'm thinking about in Egypt as well. There, you know, if you go along the Nile River, the stories change about the gods and goddesses. Mm -hmm. um, so this is fascinating. In, in early polytheistic religions, there was usually not one sacred text. Every locality had their own individual versions of the gods and goddesses, or they had their own local gods and goddesses, and they told stories about those. And it's only later that people tried to systematize them, and then they would come up with the problem that, oh, we have these competing stories, what do we do about that? But um, in a polytheistic system, it you don't have to follow one understanding or one way of, of talking about a sacred figure. It's only important in the area that you live in, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Please tell us some more about um, Bridget and some of the lore about about her and then about Imbolc. Yes. Sure. Um, so some of the writings that we know about uh, the pre-Christian Bridget, um, the Irish monks had a very interesting kind of hubris, as you could say, sort of pride in their own culture. Um, Ireland was never conquered by Rome, and so they never felt subservient to Latin necessarily, although they used Latin. 
They also wrote in the Middle Ages in their own vernacular um, Irish language. They also wrote down a lot of stories from their Irish culture in addition to writing down stories about saints and, and other things. Um, so one of the stories that was written down by medieval monks that we know about that was referring to these earlier stories talks about Bridget as being one of three sisters, daughter of the Dagda, which means the good God. One was Bridget um, of healers. She was a healing person. One uh, was Bridget of the Smithcraft. She ruled over smithing and uh, creating things out of iron. And one was um, Bridget of the Poets. And so that goes into the Celts seem to love their trinities. They loved triple everything. If one was, was good, three was, three was three times as good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, which is one of the reasons yeah. why Ireland became Christianized fairly easily because the Trinity made so much sense to them. They already had a lot of trinities. Um, so Bridget uh, seems to have been a trinity of goddesses. Other people point to other parts of the Celtic world, and uh, there seem to be goddesses um, on, in Roman Celtic areas who were called Brigantia, uh, which seems perhaps to have been the same um, figure. There are Bridget's wells all over Ireland, most of which probably were already sacred when Christianity came in. And what is exactly Bridget's well? Because we hear that, I hear that a lot. Um, uh, basically, holy wells are just wells because wells are kind of interesting. They're usually considered to be holy because it's not a river, it's not a lake, it's not a stream. It's a little bubbling up of water from underground. So it seems sort of special and magical or sacred. And so a Bridget's well is a naturally occurring pool of water uh, sacred to Bridget and usually is considered to have healing properties. And in Ireland, uh, in the old days, and even today, if you go to one of the many, many Bridget's wells uh, in Ireland, you uh, can take some of the water, maybe you place it on your body, maybe you put it in a bottle and take it away with you. You're supposed to leave something in exchange because reciprocity is the basis of this earlier religious system. So you, people often will leave a little bit of cloth tied to a branch of a tree next to the wall. They're called cludy trees because the cludy is the little cloth that wave in the wind. So if you go to a sacred well in Ireland, it may be sacred to uh, any number of saints, but there's a lot of ones sacred to Bridget. You'll see these cludy bushes or cludy trees next to the well where people have left something in exchange. And if there isn't a bush where you can do that, people will then, as in one grotto in County Clare, they will leave photographs or letters or sacred images or statues or other things that you have to give something in exchange for the sacred water that you've taken away. Now, can you drink the water is that advised or is it mostly oh, it, dep it depends on you know it depends on where where it is I mean, yeah. <laughs> you look at the water and you think it looks pretty okay go ahead okay all right so then would that be like in comparison to like lords the the well at lords um yeah, it, it's part of the same complex of things that holy water around the world and in all cultures um is something that people venerate um because bridget's name it can be pronounced in various ways in the different celtic languages um, it can be pronounced Bridget or Breed or Vreed. Yes. That, that becomes Bride instead of Breed. Um, and so even in England today, you'll see things that are named Bridewell Church or Bridewell Road, and that's a Bridget's well. Bridget was also popular in Celtic France, uh, the province of Brittany, where they speak a Celtic language in addition to French. And there are a lot of places sacred to uh, Bridget over there as well. So, and I'm fascinated by these wells. So would they be like a natural... Uh, spring like uh, you know like we have here like I know there's one like by Big Sur that you go and it bubbles up and it's hot it's a hot it's spring it's a hot spring yeah is oh, it something like yes. that um, they're not hot springs that I know of I've never seen a hot 
spring, uh, but they are <laughs> naturally bubbling up wells. They are like, um, usually they're not things that people dug. Man they are, they're not man-made. That's amazing. Like, Sorry. I so want to go uh, see one. And sometimes, so sometimes it's a spring and then it will trickle into a stream, but the place where it bubbles up is the most sacred part. Okay. All right. Wow. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how Smithcraft yes. came in with Bridget? Well, if you think about it, in many cultures, especially European cultures, but certain African cultures as well, uh, the smith is a sacred figure because what does a smith do but use fire and water to transform iron? And that's like an inherently transformative and magical act. So smiths are often thought to have magical powers or supernatural powers or be sacred to a, a god or goddess of smithing. Um, so it shouldn't surprise us that uh, there is a deity in charge of smithcraft. Um, but in Ireland, um, one of the people in charge of smithcraft seems to have been Bridget. And we know this, as I said, from the writings of some medieval monks. But it makes sense, especially if you think um, if she's already in charge of wells and healing, then she's in charge of crafting and making with fire and water. And in a forge, not only are you forging farm implements, but you're also forging swords and things like that. So that's the other side of healing, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Um, and um, she's also the, the goddess of poetic inspiration. Uh, and poets in Ireland held a very, very high position. Poets had to study for years and years and years. There were three degrees of what they had to go through. They were the keepers of all the history because all the historic lore was in poetic form. It wasn't written down. And they had the power of enhancing your reputation or if they were upset at you, if they satirized you, it literally could raise a boil on your face so everyone would oh know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, magical. <laughs> um, is this the are you talking about the bardic tradition or it is, am I it in another part, area of <laughs> yeah no you are it okay, was part no. of the bardic tradition yes all you're right. right all right um and Bridget also um uh seems to have had something to do with animals and with the fertility of the land um and in my own research into Saint Bridget we have some early medieval lives of St. Bridget. These, the, a life of a saint is like a, um, like a bio of the saint. They were really, really popular, just like biopics and fantasy are popular today. Um, they would be read out loud from the pulpit in church on the saint's feast day. And they were usually uh, a collection of Marvel tales of these wonderful things that the saint had done. And they were really, really popular reading for everybody, if you could read or listening, if you couldn't read. So Bridget has uh, one of these written in Latin, one in Old Irish, and then another one in Latin. And as I was looking through these myself at the different kinds of miracles she was said to have done, I began to notice that an awful lot of her miracles had to do with dairy, food production, <laughs> and other kinds of production. My favorite and thing. <laughs> and I had been reading other stuff about other early medieval saints, and that wasn't true for the rest of them. So besides the ones that are about, you know, kind of like modeled on Christ, um, turning water into wine or multiplying the loaves and fishes, those are things that lots of different saints do. Yes. But Bridget, in particular, she's often making sure there's a whole lot of milk for people to have or more <laughs> butter than you think you'd need. Or people show up unexpectedly on her doorstep, and she can fulfill her role of hospitality by multiplying this food so that it will never go bad or finding your cow if it's gone missing since cows were such a huge form of wealth and um, prosperity for the ancient Irish. So she's kind of, I, I sort of think of her as a holy housewife. She is the provider of all things. She always has milk and dairy products or as the uh, medieval Irish call them, white meats. Cheese was called <laughs> oh, meat. Oh, yeah. really? Oh. For you. 
Uh, and um, and this, of course, makes sense on a symbolic level. Of course, a female divinity would be in charge of dairy production. But I just find it fascinating that that's one of the things that is emphasized in all of her uh, the stories about the saint. And it makes me think that the goddess that preceded her must have also had something to do with hospitality and with um, food production. Well, I'm finding this interesting. She's, I mean, I, I believe this probably of all the gods and goddesses in some way, but listening about to breed here, she's a survival goddess. She's here for everything we need, it sounds like. Which Our is the food, important thing. Yeah. The things we build, that we use, um, yep. How we creating yeah. creating yep. new things. It, why, why is there a need for a deity or anyone um, in, in, the, in those ancient times? We don't rely today of course, on um, having a, a mystic or spirit being who presides over us. Why in that time was there a necessity for a goddess? I would argue with you there because I think it's an intrinsic human need. There has never been a society without religion and it's intrinsic human way of making meaning in the world. Uh, and I think in the modern era, we get confused because we might get disillusioned with institutional religion or get uh, worried about um, uh, certain things that we have problems we have with theology. But I think there is an intrinsic human need to sacralize our lives and to connect ourselves with the sacred, however you conceive the sacred to be. There's a reason why medieval guilds, uh, professional guilds, all had patron saints over their profession. Ancient uh, and polytheistic peoples have saints who, I mean, have gods and goddesses who preside over their professions or all parts of their life. Yes. Um, one of the problems with, um, one of the challenges with monotheistic religions is that on the one hand, a monotheistic divinity is in charge of all aspects of life, uh, which is, you know, that's one of the benefits of monotheism. And one of the drawbacks of monotheism is that it means that it's a, it's a diffuse specialization in everything, which is one of the reasons I think why people like local saints, local gods and goddesses, local guardian angels, things that bring the sacred a little bit closer to us, uh, where we can down. connect. Yeah. With yes. Um, I would also say about um, uh, another story that I love about St. Bridget. Um, apparently she was born, uh, according to the various legends, she was born the daughter of a druid and um, a servant woman. Oh. Whom, she was a slave in some stories and other stories she wasn't. And she was born as her mother was bringing the dairy, the, the milk in from the dairy, and she stepped over the threshold and out popped Bridget. <laughs> Bridget is a threshold god, liminal figure. Uh, limin is the Latin word for threshold, and it means you have like one foot in one reality and one foot in and another reality. Another. So that's fascinating. Plus, uh, as she was growing up, she wouldn't drink the milk of ordinary cows. She had to only have the milk from a white red-eared red cow. And in Celtic um, <laughs> myth and legend, white animals with red ears were always from the other world. So this is like a fairy cow or a divine cow. And then um, when she, uh, one time she hung her cloak on a sunbeam without thinking of it. So she's having sort of interactions with fire, interactions with um, milk, uh, which is just sort of fun. And then she decides that she wants to be um, a, a nun. Hmm. So she tells 
her, she tells her parents and they freak out and they say, no, you have to get married. That's what you have to do for our family. You have to increase and multiply and all that stuff. There's a guy who likes you over there. And she says, no, I don't want to marry him. So she plucks out her eye so she'll look ugly. So she does. The guy, <laughs> wow. guy doesn't want to marry her. That's and then miraculously, unlike a bunch of other female saints in other parts of Christian Europe who pluck out their eyes and then they just have no eyes, she plucks out her eye and then it grows back. So once she once she decided not to marry, she could have her eye back again, which is nice. Yeah. And then she goes to be made a nun, and she goes to this Saint Mel, uh, who's an early Irish saint, who's a bishop, and he's going to consecrate her. And he's so dazzled by her holiness that by mistake, he makes her a bishop. Yeah. So she's a female <laughs> bishop. And this may be a story to explain why the, the abbess of the monastery at Kildare, it was a dual monastery with both nuns and monks living in it. And she presided over both the nuns and the monks. And so I think the story was a way of explaining why a woman would get to preside over both men and women. Because that's a first. It's usually, yeah, it's usually the male. The male, yes. Right. That's amazing. Okay. So, so for this holiday, um, in the 19th century and earlier, um, and maybe sometimes in the early part of the 20th century in Ireland, uh, people would do all kinds of interesting and fun uh, uh, behaviors to mark this this feast day. So the first thing you would do is, of course, you would eat butter Ooh. and um, other things made with milk. Um, and once uh, the potato had been introduced into Ireland, you make uh, lovely dishes such as colcannon or stamp. Um, and you make sure that you churn butter that day. You give presents of butter and buttermilk to poor neighbors. Um, work was forbidden. You shouldn't spin or mill or cart anything. Don't do any smith work or plowing. You just rest on that day. Um, people would make um, Bridget's crosses. They're in various shapes. Depending on what part of Ireland you were in, the Bridget's cross can look different. But you take rushes or reeds and you weave them into a cross shape. It's really more of a sun wheel than a cross. In some parts of Ireland, it actually even looks like a sort of a triangle or a, like what we call an ojo de Dios, uh, the eye of God um, thing that you see in the southwest of America. Yes. Um, and those are all Bridget's crosses, and then you bless them and you hang them up in your house, and it protects your house from high winds and fire, and it protects the health of everyone inside. Um, so that's what you do. You would um, sort of renew your your cross of reeds. You would make a new one, or you would bless the old one and then you put the them back one. up. And um, sometimes Bridget was believed to travel around with her cow and go from house to house. <clears throat> so you would put out some food for her, something with butter on it, of course something for the cow to eat too and um and uh sometimes in the um, north they would set the table for one extra person and then invite a poor person passing by to come and eat in bridget's share oh, how beautiful um, very much so a little bit of cloth which was called the mantle of bridget or the black and you put that out and as the saint went by she would bless it and then you put it on your animals to protect them from illness and to protect them from other things, or you could put them on, on people in your household. Um, so uh, they're especially good for pains of the head or toothache or earache or sore throat. They can keep off bad magic, like the evil eye and things like that. So that's what it was, uh, that was considered to be good for. In some parts of Northern Ireland, um, someone would go outside, either a girl of the family or the dad of the house dressed up like a woman and would knock three times and say in Irish, Go down on your knees and do homage and let the Blessed Bridget enter the house. And everyone inside would say, welcome, welcome to the holy woman. Oh. And uh, the person dressed as Bridget would come in. Um, sometimes in other parts of Ireland, 
um, either groups of girls or boys, depending on which region you were in, would have a, um, a breed dog, a little um, symbol of Bridget, like a little corn dolly or um, a straw figure or something like that. And you'd go from house to house, uh, say, we're bringing Bridget's blessing and people would give you food and drink uh, in return. Uh, sometimes um, boys would dress up in straw costumes and uh, they would carry a churn dash, you know, the thing that you put up and down in a butter churn to make the butter. Mm, yes, so, right. And they would decorate it and that would be the biddy or the Bridget. And they were called the biddy boys and they would go from house to house and they would ask for food and drink in exchange for the blessings of Bridget. And of course, if you want to think of this really, really symbolically and Freudianly, um, here's the... <laughs> Here's these young men dressed as, you know, wild things in their straw costumes, and they're bringing this very phallic uh, thing that makes milk, makes something out of a female substance, and they're saying, hey, we're bringing you the blessings of this just as spring is beginning. So Freud would really like that. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in Ireland, obviously, Bridget was a holiday. Is it still considered a holiday? Is it still observed? Observed? Well, I it really depends on where you go. And it was never really, you know, in the old, old days, uh, in the agricultural year, you might take off except you'd milk the cows that day. But yeah. nobody's had it off at work. <laughs> Today. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, so some people might, you know, they might remember some of this. But a lot of this is the stuff that maybe your grandparents or great grandparents might have done. Some people are trying to revive some of these customs. Um, I just read an account. There's a wonderful book edited by Patricia Monahan. Uh, called Bridget, Son of Womanhood. Um, I have an article in it, full disclosure, but uh, it also has lovely articles about um, Bridget the Goddess and Bridget the Saint. And one woman talks about uh, in Ireland going to a thing for a 97-year-old woman, and they did one of these old customs. They did the custom of the girdle of Bridget, which is a, a girdle mean is belt, and so it's a big um, rope belt with Bridget crosses hanging off of it, and you step through it several times, and you pronounce a blessing, and it to give blessings for you in the new year. And she did it with this old woman, and it was very moving to her that it was the resurrection of this old custom. So many of these, I, I always marvel at how many of these exist in other cultures yeah. and other folklore around the world. I, the stories are... Do you agree with... I don't know if we have time for this, but do you agree with... Um, the, the thought that that it's not some mystic thing that hap that traveled around the world, but that every society has the same things that they're dealing with in culture that that some are that we're all dealing with life, death, sustaining our lives, um, healing, taking care of things. But I'm noticing so many symbols that exist in the tarot that exist in other spiritual traditions are right here with Bridget as well. Well, I think um, what folklore scholarship says, it forms my thinking, is that there's two ways for that to happen. And I think both go on all the time. One is diffusion, which means that people literally are passing customs from one to another. Um, perhaps I grow up in one place and I move to another place and I bring some of my customs and traditions and stories with me. And that influences the people around me. If they like it, they're going to take it, but they're going to localize it. And so something that maybe was about snow because I grew up in northern you know, Denmark now becomes about uh, rains because now I'm in Portugal. So um, 
it can happen through human contact in that way. The other way it can happen is through spontaneous generation. As you say, human beings are, are having some of the same existential problems. They all interact with environments. Um, so desert cultures, mountain cultures, agricultural cultures are going to develop some similar symbols because they're dealing with similar realities of life. Um, and uh, birth, death, rebirth, all of that um, occurs to all human beings. So there's going to be some similarities because human beings are encountering the same problems and situations. And other times it's because there was, there was actual, actually some contact between peoples. Um, we, we had talked about Carrie, Carrie and Nanan and I were talking about traditions and folklore and, um, how here in the United States, there seems to be diminishing, um, in certain cultures. Well, I think one of the things that's happened because, um, because we are a nation that was formed really only Canada, Canada and Australia and the U S share this in common, but we were formed from people who came from elsewhere, unless we are native Americans um, we came here either willingly or unwillingly from elsewhere. So we don't have a long tradition of people interacting with this place, with this culture. And the truth be told, even in Europe, they have the story that they tell themselves is that the French have always been in France. But France was Celtic, it was Roman, it was German. People moved around all the time. So there's always been movement. But I think because of the cultures that came over to America at the very beginning of our era of settlement, uh, which were mostly British, and then uh, we got some German, um, and then some other people from Northwest Europe. It all kind of mushed together through several hundred years into one sort of unidentified culture, and people lost the specific ethnic uh, traditions of their ancestors, especially if they're people intermarried with um, between German, Swedish, French, um, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and they lost connection to place. So while we have strong regional cultures in the U.S., we oftentimes, um, the sort of the white population of the United States has lost its ethnic identity. Um, more recent immigrants, uh, like the Italians came in 100 years ago, a lot of uh, Jews from Eastern Europe came in about 100 years ago, um, various groups, uh, you know, Asian folks coming in, um, Latinos coming in, their experience is much more recent, and so they are retaining more of their ethnic cultures. And one of the problems I see today is in the tendency of some people to identify with whiteness rather than with a culture. A, it's because we're still struggling to figure out what American culture is when America came up with the blues and rock and roll. That's from African cultures. America took English cultures and we messed with them and made them American because we, we married them with Dutch and German and French and Spanish and all kinds of things. So we're struggling with who we are as a culture and what is American culture. And also we've lost connection to our ancestral roots. And so we go to skin color or race rather than ethnicity or culture in order to try and define who we are. And that becomes a problem because that's not a very rich mind to, to go to. If we, if we go to our ethnic cult cultures, I think perhaps it would help us remember who we are and then appreciate other people's ethnic cultures too, that one doesn't have to dominate over the other. Over the other, yes. That's just, my, that's just my wish. <laughs> For me, again, I think acknowledging, like what you just said, is a form to get to healing. And yeah, it's, it's a way that we, I wish like the, the general public would understand that, listen to it, hear it, and then, then we can become healing. We can start healing. 
Right. Very true. Um, something that we can do today, if you are someone who wishes to um, uh, interact with um, Bridget on a spiritual level, you can, uh, there's some wonderful books. Uh, Kevin Danaher has a book called The Year in Ireland. Um, uh, there are other books like that that talk about old customs. And you can adapt them to your own self, your own life. Um, because uh, the holiday, of, right the day after Bridget's holiday is called Candlemas. Maybe you want to do something and light, just light a candle for uh, an intention in the world. Maybe something else you could do uh, would be to um, put out dishes of butter, buttermilk, bake something, find an ancestral uh, a recipe and enjoy it with butter or milk or some other dairy product to honor uh, Bridget in that way. Maybe you uh, sit down and write a poem or read some poems. Maybe um, maybe you put out a, a brat breed of a little uh, cloth for blessing and then use it in some way uh, to to remind yourself uh, to bless yourself and things around you. Maybe you create a little Bridget swell of your own. Maybe you have a nice vessel into which you can put some some water. These are all sorts of things that you can do to honor the parts, the various parts of Bridget. So if you think of the three things that Bridget is supposed to rule over, smithcraft doesn't have to just be about smithcraft. It can be about anything that human hands create that transform one thing into another. You can also think of healing. Healing happens in a lot of ways. You can think of poetic inspiration. That can be literally poetry. It can also be any kind of creative uh, thing that happens with words. St. Bridget was thought to be the foster mother of Christ and also to be Mary's uh, midwife. So there's a certain kind of um, interesting yes. healing and bringing forth in that. And that whole aspect that I was talking about of hospitality, how are you being hospitable in your home to other people? What does hospitality mean? What does reciprocity mean? So it's a time for really like deep um, reflection. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And getting ready for the the spring, then well, it is going to be spring, right? Mm -hmm. it's, so mm -hmm. so rebirth and rededication. That's beautiful. Yep. In ritual, I've experienced at uh, Imulg. <laughs> I should say it correctly, um, but, but we didn't when we were doing. A lot of us have been doing ritual and just saying Imulg, but it's the um, looking at the season of the year thinking of Breed or Bridget, and then thinking about where we are in our lives. What are the beginnings of a, th this year or something we want to start fresh or something we're working on within ourselves, in our, in our meditations, and in our own personal work going forward? You can um, think of, I, you can think of those thoughts as well as all of the beautiful things that Bridget brings forward in discussing your healing um, and uh, creativity and in the letters you write and the words you speak. Your actions. Your actions, absolutely. In the 19th century and earlier, housewives in Ireland would uh, kindle the fire in the name of Bridget and they would s'more or uh, bury the fire um, to last the night at night in the name of Bridget. You can do something like this today in your own houses, either on Imulg or every morning if you wish to. Whenever you turn on the light in the kitchen or turn on the stove to make your morning tea or coffee, you can say a version of the traditional prayer. This is one version of it on lighting the fire. I kindle this fire as Bridget would kindle it. May Bridget encircle the fire, the land, and the household all. The goddesses and gods beside me, Bridget my foster mother and my ancestors watching over me, and at my head the light of the sun, 
light within and light without, like a great fire without beginning, without time, may it always be so. Ooh, I love that. That's perfect. So that's from the materials of a Bridget organization called uh, Fellowship of Judaism of the Latter Age or FODLA. Perfect. Oh, that is awesome. Um, so usually on our show, we pull a tarot card about this time. And I believe that you have a special tarot card dealing with Bridget. I do. Someone once gave me a deck called the Mother's Wisdom Deck by Nikki Dewart and Elizabeth Marglin. And it has a Bridget card with a lovely image on it of Bridget in a green cloak with a Bridget's cross at her throat and she's playing and uh, she's standing in front of a barren tree in snow. And I'm just going to read you a little bit of the words of Nikki Dewart and Elizabeth Marglin about this card. All right. Thank uh, you. She's, uh, she's saying... Um, uh, sorry. Uh, today, Bridget encircles you, beseeching you to live your life in widening circles of peace. When peace lives in your heart, it can spread to those in your inner circle. From there, it will radiate outward into the world. Mothers hold the seeds of a homegrown peace movement. Uh, surrounded by sticks and stones and broken bones, not to mention sibling rivalry, peacemaking is at the crux of motherhood. The possibility of peace dwells in every moment. Bridget hovers over each brouhaha waiting to land. Whether you are sipping a cup of tea or kissing a child goodnight, peace arises from the enjoyment of your present experience and each other. United by our love of children and a commitment to their welfare, we are similarly powerful advocates for peace. Practice filling your heart with the compassion that can transform your suffering and allow you to act in the name of peace. World peace can be that simple and it begins with you. How can you fully embody your voice to declare peace? whether by using nonviolent communication in your home or teaching conflict resolution at a nearby school or sending prayers for peace to the other side of the globe, ask that you rise above the daily fray, take a stand with the power of love, be the peace you want to see in the world. Oh, that's beautiful. That is perfect. We're going, so to put, we're going to put this Bridget image up on our podcast website, by the way. Definitely, you can yes. See it. Everyone can see it. Uh, I do believe that after we um, say our goodbyes, you have a chant or a song that you are going to share with us. Did you want to um, let us know who wrote that? This chant is based on uh, traditional folk prayers. Um, you'll notice that it invokes uh, three. The Celts love their threes. And um, because she blesses the hearth flyer, fire, uh, it's about uh, blessing the hearth, the household, and the house itself. Uh, the tune um, is from the singing of Katie Taylor. She has a wonderful album called Welcome, Bridget. The Sacred Three of Bridget. Right. To save, to, to surround the hearth, the house, the household this eve, this night. Oh, this eve, this night, and every night, every single night. To save, to shield, to surround the hearth, the house, the household, this eve, this night. Oh, this eve, this night, and every night, every single night. Wow. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Carrie Noonan, thank you for joining us for this podcast uh, your your knowledge your wisdom i appreciate we we all appreciate it is there 
Um, any way, if anybody has any questions for you, that they can get a hold of you? Um, yes, I'm a professor at Champlain College. Um, you can find me through their website uh, if you search my name, and uh, it'll probably pop up a way that you can email me if you like. Um, and it's been my pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much, you Carrie. Again. So um, I also wanted to make a comment that um, the opening music is by David Trostak that we play at the, at the beginning. Um, also, I believe, Inanna, you have some things coming up. And just to mention, um, I have an event on February 16th, past, past Imolk. Um, it's an evening of channeling messages from higher guidance, and that's with my friend Francine Ong. It's on February 16th at Golden Soul. It starts at 7 p.m. You can look on my website, inanamoon.com, for further information, just as you can look on that website also for a link to the podcast. So, again, um, thank you. That it's and it's I've done one of those evenings and they're amazing. So I suggest everyone go see. Um, for me, you can um, see what I've got going on at LaughingHouseProductions.com and ArtistsRiseUpLA.com. Um, also, um, a lot of stuff coming up now that we're the starting. Time school. rolls forward. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I want to thank you for joining us in Cruising in the Light and Shadow. This is Anana. Yes, thank you. This is Anana Moon. And I'm Sheila Kichamarie, reminding you that love is everywhere. Our lives touch everyone and everything. So please, go forth in love. <laughs>